the gospel of the Lord. Sixty years ago, some of you will remember that the church had a council, uh, the Second Vatican Council, Second Ecumenical Council, and, and in this council, there was many things were done, but there was one thing in particular that was extremely powerful and uh, has had a ripple effect of great import. Um, before the council, we had a lectionary, a book where the readings were taken from, and we read the same ones every year. Every year the cycle just repeated, every year. So it was a limited amount. So the council said, you know, we should be a people of the word because when I was a little boy in grammar school, Catholic school, we were told, don't read the scriptures alone. They're too difficult. And there's a lot of truth to that because there's a lot of literal and not literal and it's hard to know the difference when and where and how to interpret. And sometimes the way that some people, some Christians interpret the Bible equally, it's terrible. Uh, very judgmental and, and condemning and awful. And so it, it takes some knowledge, some understanding to read it and really get from it what we can. Not all of it, but some of it's quite difficult. And today's actually um, one of those experiences. It's, it's kind of odd, and we'll get into it. But at that time of the council, the council said, no, we need to know much more of the Bible and listen to much more. So the church initiated a three-year cycle Cycle A, B, and C. A is the year we're in right now with Matthew, focusing mostly on Matthew Gospels. And then B is, is uh, Mark next year. And then the following year is Luke. And John is sprinkled all the way through the year in different times, especially during Holy Week and Easter season. So now we listen to more. Now, that's 60 years ago. And this transfiguration story is always pulled on the second Sunday of Lent, always, but by different Gospel writers. It's also told on, during the week at least once. We had it a few weeks ago. And then it's on another Sunday in the year, we hear it again. And so we get um, not saturated, but we need to hear this story again and again. So if I multiply correctly, 60 years times three, that's at least 180 times that I've heard this story since 1964. At least 180 times. And all of us are in the same shoes. So we should be, we are familiar with this. All four Gospels tell this story. And there's only a few things that all four Gospels relate. All, the crucifixion and death of Jesus, of course, resurrection. But this one story of the transfiguration is told four times four, by four different uh, Gospel writers. And I want to explore it with you because it's, it's quite a story. And we ask the question, well, why is it there? Why is this story there? And did it take place exactly where it's being told in the story? Uh, what's the purpose? And there is a very clear purpose, but let's get into it. So, Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up to a, a high mountain. And the reason they went to the high mountains was always to experience God's power and glory in some way. The mountaintops were where God spoke his word. That's where he gave the tablet of the law and commandments to Moses. The mountain place is a very sacred place. So they already knew, they had to know something, something glorious was going to happen here, but they had no idea. Something maybe spectacular. So they're walking in, talking with Jesus. All of a sudden it says that he was transfigured. And to be more specific, it said that his face became 
shining like the sun, like the sun, a light so bright coming out of his face. And his clothes became, and one of the gospel writers says, dazzlingly white, dazzlingly white. He was completely transfigured, transformed, a, a different appearance. Now, it gets really interesting because, you know, if I saw that, put yourself in Peter's shoes, if I saw that happen in front of my eyes, I'd wet my pants. I know I would. How do you take that in? I mean, whoa. It completely transfigured before my eyes. So what does Peter do? He says, uh, oh, and also Elijah and Moses came and stood beside Jesus and were talking to him. Does anybody know why Moses was there? What did he represent? The law. And Elijah? The prophets. So this is a, a testimony on their part that pay attention. This is important. Elijah and Moses are there confirming it. So what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, should I build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? What a dumb question. That would be like, I start having a heart attack in front of you. I fall on the ground and say, oh, my heart, I, I, I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm dying. And if you said, oh, you know, I just made some cookies yesterday. Would you like some cookies and milk? Sweet Jesus, what is this? So, it's as if God in the story, God our Father, has to slap Peter down and say, well, would you grow up? And he says this. He says, a, a cloud, a bright cloud comes and overshadows them. Figure that one out. It's a bright cloud, but it makes a shadow over them. You think it would brighten it all up. But at any rate, this bright cloud comes, and then God speaks. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Peter, James, John fall on the ground, cover their faces. They're scared to death. Scared to death. Terrified, the scripture says. And then something amazing happens. Jesus touches them, says, get up. It is I. Now, pay attention when this voice came. The voice is nestled in between this transfigured body of Jesus is so dazzling white and bright like a sun coming out of his face. And then God speaks, listen to him. And then when Jesus touches them, it's the ordinary Jesus. What's that about? The transfigured one is showing the glory that was going to come in Jesus. This is why the story is told. Uh, and then when he touches them, it's the ordinary Jesus. And I say to you, isn't that the way it is? Isn't, isn't that the way we experience God? Has anybody here ever seen Jesus Christ transfigured before your eyes? And if you tell me you saw Jesus Christ, I'm going to slap you. you, you, you please. Please. But could you imagine this? And then when Jesus awakens you or calls you back, it's just the ordinary Jesus. And God said, listen to him. Now, there's the ordinary Jesus on the cross. When he gets to that cross... He's not glorified. He's not shining like the sun. He's being killed. He's bleeding to death on the cross. He's been spit on and thorns stuck in his head and stripped and beaten and forced to carry a cross, nailed to it, lifted up on the cross. He's dying for three hours, total rejection, total hatred, killing him. And then he says these words. Now listen to him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I think the most divine words ever to come out of Jesus' mouth. 
the butt of all that hatred and injustice and ugliness, killing him, and he forgives. And God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You see, I think the truth is that we really have to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have to have our ears fixed on Jesus. We should pay close attention to what he says in the scriptures. Hear him when he says outrageous things like, you've heard it said, we heard it a week or two ago, you've heard it said, you must love your fellow men but hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless those who persecute you. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And if we listen to him and take that into our hearts and it begins to change us and transform us, imagine the people that we could and would become. This people of love and mercy and forgiveness and, and not holding grudges and hating and, and, and being haters. There's enough haters in the world. What if we as Catholics said, no, no, that's not what he taught us. That's not what he said, and we have heard him. That's the point. Now, interestingly, there is uh, the opening prayer of the Mass today, and this is what I think um, helps us focus on the purpose of the Scripture because, as it is told in the story, as Jesus comes down the mountain, he says to them, that the Son of Man uh, must die. He must die and then be raised in glory. So he's telling in this story about the glory that would come after the cross, after the death, the resurrection. This is the glory. And he's telling them before the glory that he's going to have to suffer. Was it to encourage them? To help them to understand this when they have to look at this? To understand that somehow through that cross comes the glory? I don't know, and I think that they must have scratched their head as Jesus says, now what is he talking about? Uh, that he has to die and then he'd be raised up? Well, uh, what is this? They couldn't possibly have understood it. But maybe the story is trying to tell us especially as we enter into this Lent, that we're going to come to that moment to, to, to re-experience it through the telling of that passion on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. Why? Because we need to understand the cross. We need to, we need to get it, but also to realize that glory will follow. And the same is true for us. Same is true for us. You think we're not going to have crosses in life? Everybody. I heard some at the door of the church this morning, right? There's crosses everywhere, everywhere. We all got them. And some of us get some really big ones in life, really, really, really big ones. And we need to hear this story of the glory because we need to get through our crosses, and sometimes this helps us. So we prayed at the beginning, O oh God, God, who have commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, to listen to him, be pleased to nourish us inwardly by your word, inwardly, that with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory. That's what this feast is about, that we might rejoice to see your glory.